Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sidious Mag Podcast. I'm Chris Chavez, and this is my show where I chat with some of the biggest names on the track, on the roads, within the coaching ranks, and across the running industry. Our guests sit down and open up in-depth to share their experiences, brilliant insights, and vivid snapshots from their professional and personal accomplishments in the sport. The presenting sponsor of the Sidious Mag Podcast is Olipop, healthy meets delicious. We've been looking for a drink sponsor for a while, and when we were introduced to Olipop, we were blown away. I was first drawn to the cans when I was shopping around at Whole Foods. Olipop is a new kind of soda. They combine prebiotics, plant fibers, and botanical extracts to support your digestive health with 9 grams of fiber, just 2 to 5 grams of sugar, and 45 calories or less in each can. The taste is fantastic, and you don't even realize how good it is for your gut health. It's free of artificial flavors, colors, preservatives, and sweeteners. We'll be sipping it on all of our shows, and we invite you to crack open and cheers an Olipop with us. Visit drinkolipop.com, it's spelled O-L-I-P-O-P, to learn more. Sidious Mag Podcast listeners get 25% off non-subscription orders by using code Sidious25 at checkout. You can also pick them up at a store. They're available at Whole Foods, Sprouts, Kroger, Target, Walmart, Publix, H-E-B. Visit drinkolipop.com for more information and use code Sidious25 for your listener discount. We are also supported by New Balance. It's been a few weeks since I got my pair, but now I've got my review of the Fuel Cell Super Comp Elite version 3. It's New Balance's latest carbon-plated racing shoe. And if you've watched enough of my Instagram stories, you'll notice that my favorite everyday mileage kicks have been the Fuel Cell Super Comp Trainer. So this is the perfect level up in my rotation for race day. Right from the moment that I stepped into the Super Comp Elite, it was a nice snug fit with its breathable upper, which is what you want for race day. The Fuel Cell Foam, which they use across multiple models, had the softest, bounciest, and most energetic ride that I've experienced in all of their shoes. The Energy R Carbon Plate, which you can see from the bottom of the shoe, does its part in maximizing the efficiency. You just have to consider this one for your next major race. And here's a little quick pro tip from me. The white and victory blue colorway looks awesome, and it's the same style we've been seeing all of their pros, including American record holder in the half marathon and marathon, Emily Sisson wearing. Get your pair of the Fuel Cell Super Comp Elite version 3 at newbalance.com today. We're so happy to have New Balance as a partner on the podcast and can't wait to be back at the track at New Balance in March for New Balance Nationals Indoor. My guest for this episode is Ken Rideout, one of the world's fastest marathoners over the age of 50. Ken's impressive physique and relentless mindset make him stand out in the marathon world. His story is one of battling tough circumstances and overcoming addiction to become a top Masters athlete. He was just featured in the Wall Street Journal last week, and he was a hit guest on the Rich Roll podcast last year, and I got the chance to catch up with him while he was in New York City last month, and my good friend Zach Clark co-hosts this episode with me. Growing up in a troubled home in a tough suburb of Boston, Ken watched his stepfather and brother go to prison. As a teen, he worked as a prison guard and vowed that he would never end up behind bars. He struggled with imposter syndrome when he was working in the finance industry and turned to opioids for quite a bit of time. Eventually, he returned to running as a way to cope and has become hooked on the sport. Ken's training routine is unorthodox. Every single time I log on to Strava and I see what he's doing, it's mind-blowing to me. His dedication to his craft has paid off because he's won several of the 50 and over races at the World Marathon Majors, and he hopes to continue that 
at the Tokyo Marathon this weekend. So join me as we dive deeper into Ken's journey, his training, and the mindset that has made him a champion in the Masters Marathon world. Without further ado, here is Ken Rideout. Ken, we're here at the Release Recovery offices. I'm joined by my special co-host, Zach Clark. It's the second time we get to do a podcast together, but Ken Rideout in the house, legend here in New York City, crushing miles this morning. We, You invited us to join you on the run in Central Park, but we looked at the paces you were planning to run and we said, no, thank you. We can't actually do that. So uh, how was it? How was the workout this morning? Well, first, thank you for having me. I'm honored, flattered, humbled, almost embarrassed by your description of me, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, the workout this morning, I was telling Zach earlier, it was, um, they always look so intimidating on paper. And I said to Zach, I do this all the time, this mental game with myself where I know I'm doing them all, but I'm like, you know what? F it. I'm going to do four of these and see how I feel. I'm making excuses for myself. So if you're out there and you're listening, and this is like a common practice that I use, even if I have a 20 mile run or eight by one mile, which was this morning at eight, the goal was eight by one mile at 515 with a minute walking, um, recovery in between and um i say uh, you know what let me get to four and then i'll assess and i'll stop making excuses in my head i do this all the time <laughs> i did the four and then i'm like oh come on toughen up man i'm trying to talk myself through and then i'm like all right let me at least get to six and then i'll make an assessment then i got the six and i was like ah two more i could stand on my head for two more right like prison terms i'll stand on my head for another two weeks <laughs> um and then i just banged them out and you know i'd probably average maybe 520 you know on the bridle which is divots everywhere and dogs it, the amount of dogs that were off the leash just like ready to run in front of me was crazy but yeah i did it I'm proud of myself so before we get into like what you're training for and how, just where you are in sort of this running journey of yours how do you describe ken ride out to just the average person what's the spark notes version of it because mm -hmm. you know on the Sidious Mag podcast, like we tend to host some of the top pro athletes, elite levels, some of these people who've won marathon majors and are, you know, setting records on the track. But occasionally, you know, I like to tap into just the people I find interesting and are doing some pretty awesome things through running. And you fall into that category. But at the same time, you're running pretty crazy fast for your own age group. So who is Ken Ryda? <laughs> That's a good question. I would say that uh, I'm a husband. A dad, I am uh, to the probably to your audience. I am you. I am a regular guy who was running to stay fit. I was doing triathlons. I did the Ironman in Hawaii three times, which was, in hindsight, was a quite an accomplishment for someone with no swimming background. And then when I had my fourth child, I just the triathlon is a very selfish pursuit in general. No offense to anyone, but. It was just not realistic for me to be biking those kind of miles and that spending that kind of time away from my family. So I just started focusing on running and I literally was just running 10 miles a day. I didn't have a coach, but <clears throat> excuse me, being a former, um, a, a drug addict and we can get into that more if you're interested later. But, um, at some point I was like, you know what? I'm just sick of being mediocre at life. I'm just, I, I am not going to be mediocre. I am not a participant. I'm a competitor. I view myself as that. Maybe some of that is from um, my own insecurities that I just, I, I, I just, whether I had to be good at something or not, whatever the, whatever the motivation was, <clears throat> 
I didn't want to just show up and um, participate. I didn't want to finish. I wanted to try to win whatever win winning meant. It, 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 I didn't have a, a, a definition of winning at the time. But I was running 10 miles a day and I started to run marathons and half marathons. And and, and pri- during my time in triathlon, obviously with Ironman, I had run some marathons off the bike and I had run like a 320 open marathon like as part of that. And then after... When I started to focus on running, I ran like a 258 marathon in Boston. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to get serious about this. I bet I can get down to 245. (laughs) And I didn't have a coach and I was running 10 miles a day. I never went to the track. I just, for 10 miles, 10 weeks prior to a marathon, I would add in like a 20 mile run and it would always be a progression run. So I'd start out, you know, trying to run, let's say just under seven minute miles. And by the end, I'd just be running as fast as I could, whatever that would be, you know, typically would never get under six minutes that just, I just didn't have those kind of wheels. I never had like short, fast speed. Like I can't run a fast 400, like, like track athletes that you're used to talking to. And, um, Uh, Yeah, I know. I know as I'm saying this, it sounds crazy, right? But I just, I, through that process, over the course of probably three years, I got down to a 233. But I was running, when I say run 10 miles a day, I ran 10 miles a day. No coaching at all. I ran 10 miles a day every day for like, if I didn't run, I would ride my bike 50 to 100 miles. So I'd I'd usually do at least one long bike ride. And I got down to 233 and I was running like, 117 for half and 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 then i started to then i got a coach and we can get into how that <laughs> progressed from there yeah and so now you're 51 52 i'll be 52 in may pr you have a pr streak going right uh, like once the structure came into your life mm-hmm. like it's just been leveling up year after year right so when i was training on my own i kept getting faster and then i got to um when i got to 233 which was in tucson which is a very fast course it's a net net downhill but it's not as when, when you look at the profile it's not nearly as fast as it looks it looks like you're going straight downhill but there's some like tough punchy rollers at the beginning so <clears throat> maybe on a, on a relative basis maybe i was around 235 and um I just couldn't get faster, and I hired Mario Frioli, who's now my partner in this marathon training program we started, and he's been my coach for about three and a half years. And But when I hired him the first time out the gate, it's interesting, I was down in Philly. I lived in Philly for eight weeks. Uh, my podcast partner, Teddy Atlas, we have a show together called The Fight with Teddy Atlas. So we moved to Philly for eight weeks to train Alex Vosdick, who was the WBC light heavyweight boxing champion of the world, former bronze medalist from Ukraine. And we had a pay-per-view ESPN main event fight at Temple in Philly against Artur Betabiev, who's now got our title and the IBF title and arguably one of the best light heavyweights in the world, um, him and um, Dimitri Bivol, who beat Canelo. Um, so while we were there for eight weeks, Mario became my coach. And for that eight weeks, I'd get up in the morning and I'd train on that river in uh, just outside of Philly behind the art. Yeah. And I trained like, you know, like a professional runner. I, I did like 80 to 100 miles a week. I followed the, the protocol, which I, I had never f- followed a training program like that that was so specific. And first race out the shoot in December of um, at 19, I think I ran Sacramento in 228. And I actually finished and didn't feel like I was going to drop dead or need to be carried off on a stretcher. 
It's crazy. Did you? Was there any temptation to finish most runs on the rocky steps or anything like that? Nah, you I'm got. Not, you, I'm not like that. <laughs> you got. It, well, the, there's this other part to your persona, and I guess like you did a fin- phenomenal interview with Rich Roll, where at the very beginning, it's so similar to how we kind of felt when we got the invite to run with you, where it's like this dude's just so intense, like we can't keep up, and like you you've spoken about how just like there is this tough guy you know persona that people kind of have of you but deep down inside you're just so welcoming to to everybody yeah you know what i I was telling zach i just got back from a um i don't know how else to describe it other than like a mental health retreat at a place called onsite in tennessee hope i don't get emotional and uh it was life-changing for me because i realized that I get it. I, I, I understand why people would see that like tough facade and, and intimidating personality. I, I get it. And I think it's like a defense mechanism because the truth is inside, like, yeah, I'm a very sensitive person. Like Rich like Rich described me after the fact when he did a recap and said like he's a very sensitive, emotional guy. And I am. And I think because I am so sensitive and emotional, my natural defense mechanism is if I feel threatened to lash out and have that attitude like I'll fucking punch you in your face like and there is a part of me that does do that at times when my wife's like dude what are you doing I'm like I but what I did what I realized in 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 the work that I've done the last like I was at onsite for like four and a half days no phone no no nothing no distractions I just realized like man that's not the way that that's not the answer and that's not who I am it's that's just I hate to say it, but it's like insecurity in my own, my own um, defense mechanism for letting people get too close to me and like feeling like I might get hurt emotionally because, as you know, like emotional pain is so much worse than physical pain. I'd much rather catch a physical beat and then have someone hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I think that hopefully maybe I can like start to like soften up that exterior <laughs> a little bit and. But I still feel like when I get to the start line, I'm like, let's fucking go. I'm going to get in your ass. I'm going to kick your ass. You know, like, well, I've got some stories of friends of mine who have been in races with you, and they've caught themselves. Where it's like, I, I think he was like going to murder someone at a water station once. That's, that's how I met Ken. I, well, we have a, a, a friend in common, Nate Checkets, who, you know, Roan and, and, and whatever. And he introduced me to Ken because Ken was training him. And his ride out strong. You see it on his shirt. He started training people for the marathon. I've never had a coach. So I called uh, Ken, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. And we connected. And. That conversation was a fucking roller coaster, but I hung up the phone. I was like, "We're doing it!" Like, you know? so like, but I also got like that sensitive side to you, and that you really cared and you were passionate. And you know, I I, I get it, man. Kudos to you on site. You know, I, I work in the behavioral healthcare field, and they do so much unbelievable work. We just had our whole leadership team down there last month, and I mean, what a gift in the world we live in today, right? To put the phone down and really be forced to look internally, look in the mirror. None of us do that. We're all glued to the phone, the TV, and, and what's next. So that's it's unbelievable that you took that step out, man. It was, um, I mean, I was driving there at, like I was going to jail. Like I was I was nervous, man. I was like, I, I, I literally almost turned around. I was like, what the fuck am I doing, man? I, I can't do this. And then I, I didn't know, like I knew nothing. I didn't know you had to give up your phone. I figured you did. And then they took it and I was like, did I, did I tell everyone I'm off the grid? And, and then they were like, you can't leave the grounds. And if you want to run, basically, you can run up and down this quarter mile long driveway. So I was out there every morning, 6 a.m., pitch black, running up and down this driveway like a freaking <laughs> lunatic. 
you know, because I think a lot of people in, in recovery use the exercise and fitness becomes another form of addiction in medicine. And it's like, let me mask my feelings by just exercising myself to death. And, and to a certain extent, I think I probably have been doing that. But I don't know another way other than using drugs to stay focused and to like get it's almost like a natural um, antidepressant for me. So it's 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 like a blessing and a curse. It's like a necessary evil that I need right now to manage my life. And I don't I, I, I don't know that I have the tools to not do it, but I'm aware now that what's the meaning of it? Like, what what am I what who am I doing this for? Am I really doing it for myself or am I doing it to say, hey, look at me, I'm the best. So that's, I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that probably feel like this about a lot of things, but I can't, I can't deny the fact that this running and, and, and the performances has given me gifts that I never imagined. Like I was saying to Rich Roll, like I was just toiling in darkness and anonymity, just doing my thing. I didn't, and then I started to get better, but it, the goal wasn't, hey, look at me. The goal was, I just need to stay busy. I need to stay focused. I need something to keep my mind right. And it just almost like the universe rewarded me in, in a lot of ways by giving me the opportunity to be here speaking with you. I'm like, I'm a huge tra track and field fan. I don't think I'm a runner. I just think I run, but I don't think of myself as a runner. Mm -hmm. I, I never have. I, and maybe that's my own insecurities again, but I just, I'm just a guy who runs. I want to go to that point just kind of about like the addiction and just how you know, Zach, through becoming friends with you and hearing your story and then meeting a lot of the other guys at Release Recovery, it is so interesting how, you know, movement, physical activity takes that place of, you know, that, that itch, that addiction, that, that, that high that people are chasing. There's a natural high that comes with running. I guess, what is it that you think running does for people who have, you know, struggled with addiction and substance abuse in the past. And I guess like after that, I guess I want to hear from Ken, just how it mirrors or is different from your own personal experience. Yeah. I mean, I know for me, when I was in rehab, I was, you know, 250 pounds and, and, and lost. And, and my, my entire life was burning down. I was addicted to heroin, smoking crack, the whole thing, you know, and I'm not going to get into it cause I want to hear more from Ken, but I remember in treatment, I started, there was a hill out front and I started walking it, you know, and slowly started walking it each day and they would see me out there in the morning and then I was jogging it. And I started for the first time in, in my sobriety, a couple weeks into it, feeling this sense of accomplishment, right? And feeling the sense of like, I can actually do this. And so much of substance abuse and mental health is about that isolation, right? And they say like, it sounds cheesy, but move a muscle, change a thought. If I'm, if I'm holed up in my room or I'm laid back somewhere, most likely I'm thinking about me. I'm thinking about what's wrong with my life. And so when I get out and I run and I move around, um, naturally the, the dopamine in my brain starts to fire off in a way that's a little bit healthier than if I'm sticking a needle in my arm, right? And then the secondary benefit for me of joining the running community has, has been the connection, like meeting a dude like Ken, meeting a dude like you, and like hearing your story. I, I mean, I relate handing that phone over, right? Like for me, I've done that a lot of times. I've done a lot of work. I've done five-day intensives. I've been to rehab. I went on the pastorette. I had to turn my phone over there. And when I turn my phone back on is when I realize I'm just not that important. The world's still going on. Everything's fine. Like, left to my own devices, I think I'm in control. And I'm not. You mm -hmm. know, and that's, that's a lot of what running is. Like, I go out some days and I feel great and I, I, I rip it. And other days, it's like I'm pounding out 10 miles, 10-minute 10 miles and feeling like scum of the earth. You know, it's <laughs> like, so... 
Yeah, for sure. It becomes, like you said, when you were walking up and down the hill, I'm sure there was a part of you that noticed that other people were noticing too, and it becomes a source of pride. Like, hey, look what I can do, for better or worse. Whatever the motivation is to keep you moving, I can tell you one thing. I like, I'm going to be 52. When I see other people that are my age, sometimes I'm like, man, I see myself in the mirror, and I'm like, oh, my God, I look old. But then I see my peers, and I'm like, Man, I don't look that old. And I'm like, oh, the running. So, so, so in a lot of ways, it's it serves to it, it serves my like the vanity part of me. But in other parts, it's like, dude, have some discipline. I, 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 this is where like the the kind of tough aside comes out. I'm like, have some fucking discipline in your life, man. Have something that you feel proud of. Have something you identify with. So I'm trying to like do some work on thinking, where's that coming from? Like, is it, is it, is it sincere? Is it genuine? Is it covering something else up? But I can't deny that that's my thought process is like, dude, set some goals and stick to them and, and, and give yourself a sense of pride and like honor and, and, and set some goals. And I always, like I was telling Rich, I always tell people what I want to do because when you put it out there, it's like, oh, shit, I told these guys I wanted to run 228, and now I ran 235 in Berlin. I was mortified. But even my wife's like, mortified? Who gives a shit? And I was like, I know. I'm like, this is like I said, it's like my own um, self-discovery and journey. But those things gave me a lot to think about and ponder when I was at Onsite. And um, I don't know. I feel so much better for it. I feel like a much better dad. Like In your own personal story, addiction drugs that seeped in very early on right in terms of just childhood you were exposed to it and it was around you right yeah i grew up with junkies all around but i always just felt like superior to them because i was an athlete and had focus and always knew what i wanted to do and went to college i played football and hockey in college and then when the sports were done and i moved to new york and so when the sports were done i started just like drinking a lot more with my buddies in boston and we would do coke and that novelty of that wore off pretty quickly because the aftermath from that was like too depressing for me. I was like, I can't throw away another day of my life trying to recover from that night out. So that was, you know, that came and went and was flash in the pan. But once I moved to New York and was working in finance and first experienced um, opioids, uh, Percocet, and, you know, like I said on the Rich Roll show, I was working in finance and I was suffering from a fraud complex or imposter syndrome because I was around all these kids with huge academic pedigrees like ivy league kids they had worked at goldman they worked over here and i was like i had a sociology degree from framingham state and i just felt super inferior which was irrational because i was literally running the trading desks i was working on and making like significant amount of money but i wasn't happy inside and i felt like a fraud i don't know why and and i found those opioids and as soon as i took them i'm like i feel like a superman i feel awesome and uh, I want to feel like this all day. And so very quickly, I felt like that all day. And then it's slowly, when you go through that, Zach, you know, you go through that cycle. It's like initially, like the first few days, you're like, oh, I feel great all the time. And then it's like, I feel great for like 10 minutes after I take these things. And then the next four hours, I'm just looking forward to the next dosing cycle. And then, and then quickly, it's like two minutes. And then it's like, now I'm just taking them so I don't get sick. And that's when... The first time I like walked into NA an NA meeting in London and was literally like just, oh my God, I was lost at sea. I was so ashamed. And and the unfortunate part about going through that is that you lose a part of yourself. It's like you don't come out of that storm the way you went in, for better or worse. We all like to think we come out stronger out of a storm, but 
I came out of that feeling like a complete piece of shit and it's taken me a long time to get some confidence back and um yeah man it it has not been a fun experience it has not always been fun being me and um that's my journey it is what it is I just you know I I I can't deny what it's been like and I don't want to sugarcoat it it's been a fucking nightmare at times but running in a lot of ways has provided me with like I said the opportunity to be here talking to you guys and um it's part of my story and if sharing it can help some people I don't I'm not looking to benefit by telling people about my fucking sob story but if sharing this story can help some people that are going through it you can you can stop whenever you're ready you can do it I do feel a lot of pride about being able to like stop that like you you know like i never went to rehab i just did this like on my own and it always has it hasn't been a pretty recovery process it's kind of like move forward it's not a straight line like it started here and then i just want to get here it was like this like whoop backslide whoop backslide but i'm just always getting a little bit closer to like longer sobriety longer sobriety and now i'm on a bit of a hot streak here for like the longest i've been you know i've been not an not um uh, constantly addicted over the last several years but i would be lying if i didn't say i've made several mistakes over the last several years and um you know those mistakes get short the window gets shorter and shorter and now i've got some like now i've got a little bit of time behind me and i'm just it's a constant struggle man i fucking addiction is not a fun journey man it's not something i wish for anyone i mean forget the people out there i can tell you that by sharing that you're helping me right and like there's this common bond that we share that's no one will understand it until they're yep. in our shoes so i i appreciate you sharing that and like one of the things that i had to learn as i got more involved in the behavioral health care field is like i was shooting heroin i was drinking the beer i was smoking the joint because i need dopamine like as yeah. humans we need dopamine to survive and then once i'm addicted I need more and more to keep the dopamine levels in my brain where I actually feel like I can function. So that's why it goes from four hours to two hours to an hour to 30 minutes to I'm in the bathroom every five minutes and people are starting to notice it, right? And then I got sober and all of a sudden I'm eating cake, I'm working out all the time, you know, the sex comes in and there's all these other like peripheral things that will, will, will attack that same pleasure center in my mind. Right. So for you, maybe it's running. For me, maybe it's something else, but addiction is addiction and like guys like me and you we like to overshoot the mark you know <laughs> another way to think about it for people that might be relatable if you haven't had a substance addiction problem is think about social media when you open your phone why, why do we instinctively reach for our phone and check who liked this who commented on this and it sounds silly and people might be like oh yeah that but think about it every time you look at your phone you're like looking for something it's like why do you reach for it all the time it's like your brain is like getting some ooh, a little momentary boost you might not recognize it as a dopamine boost but that's essentially what it is because when you take that away and you spend a few days with yourself in intense therapy you realize like oh shit every time i found myself alone i was like oh, what the what where's my phone it's like it's attached to us like when's the last time you left your phone somewhere it i it those, those times I, I only say this because we I was just at a meeting and I stood up and someone's like, oh, you left your phone here. I'm like, oh, my God. I just realized I haven't left my phone anywhere in years because it's <laughs> attached to me. And uh, anyway, that's just it. If, if you've never struggled with addiction, think about that as an addiction and think about that. Try to be cognizant of what, what am I getting every time I look at this and see if you notice it. I would venture to guess most people will identify with that. 
We talk a lot about high-level performance and training for running on the Sidious Mac podcast, but I want to take a second to talk to you about something equally important to performing your best, and that is recovery. This is something I've honed in on over the years, and I can't stress it enough. You got to take the time to recover. One simple recovery trick is to make sure that you're putting on the right footwear after your run because your feet have taken a beating, whether you're racing or you're training. And a brand that Kyle and I discovered last fall is Bellis Active Recovery Footwear. They're designed to specifically help you restore, revive, and re-energize before and after you train. Bellis has worked with competitive athletes and the medical industry to create what they call tri-motion underfoot technology that cushions, supports, and flexes in all the right spots. It is engineered to let your feet and legs heal faster after you train. These shoes are so lightweight. I've been wearing them for a while now, and I absolutely love them. I've got them on right now while I'm recording this podcast. I bring them with me to the track and to long runs. This spring, Bellis is launching two new styles to their recovery mix, the Hoya Slide with an adjustable upper for a custom fit that can also work with or without socks. They've also got the Skyline coming, which is a full lace-up recovery shoe that you can wear all day, every day, to and from the track. Velis Active Recovery Footwear should be in your footwear mix and part of your plan to perform and train at your best. Kyle and I can't wait to get our hands on these new styles. This new performance brand that everyone's talking about is bringing the absolute best and most technical recovery footwear on the market. Check out Velis Footwear at velisfootwear.com. That's spelled B-E-L-O-U-S footwear. And enjoy a 20% discount by entering code SIDIUSMAG20. Make sure that the capital letters are C and M in that code. Check them out, velisfootwear.com. When you were talking about just like the the struggles you had and, you know, the point where you were most kind of dealing with your your addictions how did you your said you said you mentioned your confidence was low at one point like what were the first steps you took to getting that confidence back because now it's sort of like i mean the way you approach races and all this kind of stuff like you're very confident in the person that you are you think i'm confident i think maybe so. <laughs> i'm just maybe i'm just projecting confidence inside i'm like a scared little kid like everyone else i don't want to fucking lose i don't want to like embarrass myself and and i it, it's all relative but it's stories that we tell ourselves because at the end of the day not reality doesn't matter it, it, The only thing that matters is your interpretation. What are you telling yourself? So I'm telling myself, if I don't win this and run a PR, I am a piece of shit and I stink at running. And it's crazy. I I know that. But it's the truth. And if you think about it, about things about our own lives, everyone has that. They create this pressure for themselves, whatever it might be, financial, professional, relationships. Um, But yeah, I've I've become very good at... at, at, um, you know, masquerading as super confident, but maybe sometimes the people that are the most confident are the most scared. The first time you went for a run, what's the first run that you kind of remember where you're just like, I guess I'm doing this, but I don't even know if I'm doing this right. It's so easy to just go out and like put shoes on and get get out the door and say, I'm going to try and go for two miles, one mile, whatever it might be. But again, before the, this, this facade of confidence you built up, there must've been a point where you're just like, I'm just doing this and I don't even know if I'm doing it right. I would say until I had a coach, I never thought I was doing it right. I didn't know what I was doing. Sometimes I'd run races, and I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe how fast I'm running. It, when I was when I got down to like the 233, so from like 258 to 233, I felt like I couldn't, the, the pace I was running for the marathon, I felt like I could never run that pace in training. I'd get on the race course, and I'd be like, I can't believe I'm running this fast. It's like my brain must just respond to races. 
and then when I got into like the technicalities and had a coach with Mario kind of explaining things to me, I'm like, oh, okay, it makes sense now. And then I started to like see a correlation between training and uh, racing. But I always was able to like suffer like a dog at the race. Like even in, even, even in Berlin when I was, I mean, I ran 235, but I ran through like 18 miles on a 530 pace. Like I was on one and I felt great until I didn't. And then I was like, in a lot of ways, almost like more proud of finishing that race than running a PR. Cause I'm telling you, for the last eight miles, I was on death's door. Like I was literally thinking, like, could I die from this? Like, I mean, I, I was like seeing, so I was like see, blurred vision. Like, I crossed the finish line and just collapsed. I was a mess, a mess, a mess. It was, it was awful. Worst race of my life. Are you like Zach? Because like Zach, uh, in a sense, the thing that he's getting more open to the idea of running anything but a marathon. But for the longest time, Zach would only run marathons because it was a great, you know, the atmosphere is amazing. You're pushing yourself for 26.2 miles. And like to convince him to do a half marathon, he'd always be like, why a half? Like, let me let's just do a full. And like we've done the Goggins challenge together before. And so like, have you always like does a 5K and pushing yourself to your fastest there appeal to you or is it just solely the the hardest ones that you want to oh, chase? no 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 i do 5ks 10ks whatever's close i like to do all the local races and uh, maybe that's self-serving you must be a monster at the turkey trot like no one like <laughs> i'm the king of the turkey trot i'm the turkey trot world champ i won the turkey trot in the palisades a couple times i won the nashville 10 mile turkey trot by like several minutes but it's like a it's like a, a catch-22. If I win, my wife will be like, you did it. And I'm like, yeah, I beat everyone. They stink. Um, they're, they're terrible. I'm like the, you know, the tallest little guy. And if I don't win, I'm like, damn it. How did I let that guy beat me? So, but yeah, I do, I do all distances. I, I, I ran the Nashville Half Marathon last a year ago in November, and I ran 110 there. But I was I neck that. and neck Sorry. with a 27-year-old pro runner who ran at Vandy. And I'm, even when I'm running with him, I'm like, oh, this kid's a real runner. At one point, I was like, how you feeling? And he's like, good, good. I go, I know you don't want to lose to a 50-year-old man. I was doing anything to just try to get a glimpse into what he was thinking about. And at, at like between 9 and 10, he just put 30 seconds on me, and I couldn't close it. And I ran like 110 mid and he ran like 110 low i think something like that he beat me by like 20 seconds and i was like damn it but i was so happy with the time when does that intensity turn on with you because is it like from the moment you get off the plane and you know the races in nashville you get off the plane at the airport or is I it like on Na the i live in nashville so i was just drove down there by myself yeah but my is it just like, I, I'm, I'm thinking like berlin is it get off the plane in berlin it's all business from there you're on a business trip this isn't yeah. just fun and games until the race is over yeah it's definitely a business trip i try to relax but i'm definitely amped up for the several days before like my wife and kids never come to the races even <laughs> in the nashville race they didn't come but my kids are little you know even when they've seen me win races they're like all right Dad, can we get out of here now and i'm like no i think they're gonna have an award ceremony they're like oh and then they could be given out like a freaking plastic uh, turkey, whatever it is. I want that trophy. It's so strange. But um, yeah, the marathon, definitely in the couple days leading up to it, I'm like anxious. And definitely nothing nice on race day. I'm just like, I'm, I'm in my zone. I'm just, I just want to do my own thing. I don't want to like, I don't want to bother anyone else, but I certainly don't want to be bothered. And in Berlin, it was just the most unbelievable experience because I had um, a number with the pros. So I'm in the pro tent, and I'm literally putting on my shoes, sitting next to Elliot Kipchoge. Because <laughs> I walk in there, and there's not a lot of seats left. 
and the Kenyans over here, the Americans are over there, the Chinese. And I was like, oh, fuck it, I'll sit right here next to Kipchoge. No one else wants to. You know, they're probably intimidating. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? Knock old bombs, putting on my shoes. It's like I'm getting ready next to Tom Brady for the Super Bowl. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a few years ago, I'd rush down to the start of a marathon just to see these guys warming up. And now I'm literally like, it was so surreal. I'm like, I'm warming up with them in like, you know, the area in front of the start line where just the pros are allowed to go in that long strip in front of the um, where the Berlin Marathon starts, like a big, almost like the Arc de Triomphe in, yeah, in yeah. Paris, just a big long road. It was so surreal, man. I was on a, I was on a high. I was like, holy shit, I'm here. And then you see a picture at the start line, Kipchoge, and like two people behind him. You can see me on the start line. I'm like, oh, my God. I just wish I had run well there because I, I, I was in shape. Because 14 days later, I ran 229 in Chicago. And, and I, I felt like I was destroyed from Berlin. I, I just felt like in Berlin, had I, had I paced myself and got there a little bit early, I was there like four days early. But I think if I had paced it a little bit more efficiently and, and got there a little bit earlier, I, I really think I could have run like a 226, 227. But it was hot, man. It was humid. Not hot, humid. Like I just remembered, like, you know, at a certain humidity level, you start to notice, oh, my God, I'm drenched in sweat. Like everything is saturated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Training in Nashville. Chicago on the calendar? Was that a redemption sign-up? It was on the calendar because I wanted to bang out all the majors, and um, and it was on the calendar. But in my brain, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to go to Berlin, destroy, run like 226, 227, and then I'll just get through, get around Chicago in like 229 and be happy just to get that off the list of things to do. And then I was like, oh, my God, the pressure's on in, in Chicago. I have got to run well here. And it was, it was it, as a result, that just terrible. I, I mean... The, I was really happy with the result, but it was nothing fun going on there. I was nervous as hell. Even through 15, 16 miles, I'm like, oh, I feel pretty good. Oh, shit, I'm in one piece. I'm like, this is going well. I finished strong. I was like, damn, that was good. When you, can I just, yeah, because I'm curious because I'm starting to actually like focus in on some training and trying to throw up a decent time for myself, not through 30, but when you're at 15, 16, 17, is there a thought in the back of your head like my hammy could go or something could go? Is that where the nerves come from? Or? 100%. Yeah. It, like, it comes so quick. Like that, that feeling of like, oh, damn, I pushed just a little too hard comes on quickly, at least for me. Um, I'm trying to like get the gels in at the designated times, like maybe every four miles. I'm hitting Gatorade one station, water at the next. And, you know, you're just aware of everything. Like interesting running nerd fact like i've been running in alpha flies and i talked to this guy dave jewel who does a lot of work with shoe companies and he was like listen those shoes for you they got the carbon plate he's like your calves are destroyed at the end right i'm like yeah man they start cramping he's like you're almost sinking low on the heel as your form starts to deteriorate your heel striking and your heels going low and then your calves working super hard to get over that carbon plate mm -hmm. in the front like my friend abdi abdi rockman he runs in he races in the um vapor fly. the vapor fly and that's i do a lot of training in vapor flies and i just recently started doing some work with reebok too in training their float rides but i had been racing but he was like those vapor flies are going to be much better for you than the alpha flies but you see kipchoge wearing the alpha flies and you're like they must be great for me too but i think in hindsight the mistake in the in in that shoe choice for me might have cost me a couple like races here and there like minutes in races because my calves start to cramp and get like like i'm, I'm ready any step i'm ready for them to either spasm or like rip they're so sore 
So with Zach, it's like it's so interesting because he he was telling me I went on a run with him shortly after the call the two of you had, just kind of getting him pumped up and motivated for for Boston since he's doing the Right Out Strong program, mm -hmm. and like he so he's now he's a sponge like he's ready to take in everything that Hell will yeah. probably make him better. I could ask Mario myself, but I'm, I want to hear from you. How coachable were you at the very beginning? Were you just sort of like wait? I can unlock this, unlock this, and like it's gonna make me better. Yeah, that, no, that's a good question. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm not a um, cheapskate by any means, but if I'm gonna pay for something, I'm, I'm not gonna pay for something for show. When, when I hired Mario, I'm like, tell me, master, tell me what to do. <laughs> I clearly don't know. I thought I did. I don't, and so I listen to everything he says. But a lot of it is like a collaboration. Like he'll be like, "How'd you feel on that?" I'm like, "Yeah, this ba 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 ba," and I rely on his experience and but my knowing myself. So like when I was at onsite, I missed a 22 miler, so I only did 10 miles a day and not even I had no. The other thing is I had no headphones or anything. I always listened to music or audio books or, or podcasts. Having no music and running all four days to up and down a driveway was oh my god was I bored, um, but anyway yeah I, I I listen to everything he has to say but I think that one of the main things that I do that I don't think a lot of other runners do is like I lift weights like three or four days a week like I don't think I look like a runner per se, and I think that there's a lot to that where look none of us are going to go and beat the African runners or the elite Americans and. You know, if you if you think you can, then yeah, maybe you should be 115 to 120 pounds. But that's not practical for like a, a, a guy who has a job and who has kids or has like other things going on. So and maybe it's vanity, but like I just don't want to be like a skinny little guy. So I, I think that the lifting the weights and having strength, especially at the finish of a marathon, has served me to have some muscles like. I'm not, look, I'm like 160 to 165 pounds. I'm 5'10". I'm like, I mean, a pretty average sized guy. But I also think, you know, the expression like a lean horse wins the race of life. Like, I, I just think it's better lifestyle to have like some muscle mass. Like I'm a big proponent of like Andrew Huberman. He's a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And he would say like, yo, there has to be a balance of like cardiovascular exercise, but also resistance training, you know, for, for, for overall health. And who knows, maybe I could run much faster if I was willing to be um, skinnier, but the vanity side of me doesn't <laughs> want to be that skinny. So I, I'm a big believer in the weight. So that we have a guy called Todd Anderson who played football at Michigan State. Then he played a little bit with the Rams. He's a hardcore strength and conditioning coach, has a physiology degree. He's just like human performance coach. And um, he's actually moving to Nashville in a month from Detroit, and I'm going to be psyched to have him around because we do a lot of um, lot of training together. And he's going to run his first marathon in Nashville. He's like, I don't know, he's probably 250. I hope I'm not getting his weight wrong, but he's a giant. He's like a big NFL-looking frigging guy. And uh, What's he's he going to run. I don't know what he thinks he's going to run under four hours, but I said, four hours, F that, man. You should be running 330. <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking about time then. <laughs> Let's lend some context for, for the people who may not be as familiar. What are you chasing? What are the goals that you've got for yourself when it comes to running? Yeah, good question. I, right now, the only immediate goal is Tokyo's the last major that I haven't run. I've run, um, I got second in London. Then I won the Masters 40 and over at New York and my own age group 50 and over. Then I won the 50 and over at Boston, second in Berlin, second in Chicago in my age group. And now I'll run Tokyo, try to win my age group, and that'll be all the majors. And then I, most likely I'll try to run the age group world championships in Chicago in October. But beyond that, I don't know, maybe I'll try a um, ultra marathon next, like a 50 miler or a 100 miler. 
I always like to tease my ultra marathon runners and say, oh, you guys are just hiding from the speed. You guys just going until uh, like all the super talent is at the marathon. So it's just a matter of being willing to suffer. So I'm like, I'm going to come and get you in the ultras next. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I don't mean to insult ultra marathon. <laughs> so it, like it's not like you're competing against just two other guys and they're all, you know, 59 and really old. Like the competition is stiff. Like for for this, what are some of the other times the other guys are running when uh, some of these people who are either beating you or coming close? At all of the um, so in at the World Championships in London, I ran two two twenty nine high, and a guy ran two twenty nine low. But he also uh -huh. like blatantly cheated. He started in a in a in a in a in a section with the like British National Championship race. But everyone in my it wasn't a crowd it was like three start areas like the new york city marathon this like they merged together around four miles so this guy went uh started in a different area even though we had our own designated numbers to identify you on your front and back and uh, it merged together around four miles and i was leading by miles when we merged it was just me and the motorcycle so i was like oh my god look i'm leading the fucking london marathon <laughs> and we merge in with some elite the the pros elite amateurs like younger guys and I don't know that the guy's 50 seconds up the road. He took it out a five-minute flat per mile, and he ran 229. So he ran 540-ish pace, but he ran five flat the first three miles. Anyone who is talented enough to run a 540, to run a 229 marathon, isn't going to run five-minute flat for the first per mile, for three miles. So I think he knew what he was I'm convinced. But I also say, and I said this on the Ridge Roll Show, I know that him and I are the only two people that care about this, but I fucking care. And I went to London. I spent a lot of money and effort and time. Just stand next to me and let's <laughs> race. Maybe he would have beaten me. But I can tell you this. When I'm finishing, I think I'm winning. I cross the finish line. I run back to my hotel. I'm scurrying to get to the airport because I can't get out of there fast enough. And uh, I look at the results and I'm like, oh, my God. I call Mario. I go, dude, I think this guy cut the course. There's no way he passed me because no one passed me during the race. When we merged, if one or two people went past, like I... You know, it's they're not. You're looking at okay. That's no. He doesn't have my number, and uh, yeah. And then I looked at his Strava file, and I was like, "Damn it! This guy started like you know. How did this happen?" I I sent an email to the organizer. I'm like, "Listen, I don't want to sound like a big crybaby, but if you're gonna go through all the effort of putting us all together and then let one knucklehead start over here, like so he knows he's in the race, but I don't. How is that? How is that fair?" And I and then I was like, "You know what? I'm not gonna be that guy. Fuck it. You got me. I'll get you next time." Have you gotten so, redemption yet, or like no, a chance to no. go ahead? The crazy to thing is, he ran two thirty three this year in in London. He got second, but some Belgian guy ran two two twenty five at London. So hopefully he's not in Chicago. But uh, now when I lost in Berlin, the guy ran two thirty. I ran two thirty five. I I I def I, I I I'll beat him. I'll get him next time. And then in Chicago, someone beat me by twenty seconds. But the guy who beat me in Chicago, I beat him by seven minutes in Boston the same year. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny how just like intense you are about all this. I care about this, man. I'm not like doing this like like there's a part of me that yeah, I want to win too. So it's like I'm sure if anyone was in this position, you'd know. If you were driving race cars and there was one guy in your category that kept beating you, you'd be like, yeah, there's a guy in uh, Texas that keeps beating me. It's like, I mean, there's a handful of guys out there that can run like 229-ish, 228, and there's maybe one or two guys. Clearly, there's a Belgian guy that can run 225, which is crazy. That's, yeah. that's friggin' fast. I do want to paint the picture of, from my friend's perspective of just what you're like in some of these races. You tell me how accurate this okay. is. 
some guy cut you off at a water station in Berlin, and he was trying to go backwards, <laughs> and you yelled at him, come find me after the finish, I'll fuck you up. <laughs> that's it, that, dude, that's exactly right. It was like a Brazilian guy. I remember Must that. Must have been. He, he like... I don't know if he bumped. I mean, I was going, I was going in reverse, and he kind of bent. I don't know, like what the incident was, but he yelled something at me, and I was like, "See me at the finish, motherfucker!" I was, I was not, I was in a bad spot there. But yeah, that's that's it's accurate. I own that. All right. He like, yelled at me for us. Okay. I was like, "Okay, you want us to see me at the finish?" The other one of these guys, like uh, his his boss handed him a bottle of Morton and he just heard from behind, yo, Tracksmith, let me get some of that. Yeah, and yes. you just drank unknown liquids from an unmarked bottle and that's <laughs> just survival mode that you get into during these races. That was in uh, that was in Boston and I saw the guy in a Tracksmith kit get a bottle of um, you Whatever know, hydration. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, and I, was, I ran like 230, 20 there and um, he took that bottle and I was like, hey, hey Tracksmith, let me get that when you're done. Cause, because if you can get the drink in the bottle, you can get a lot in versus a cup. It's like, you know, you're running, you're hyperventilating practically, right? So anytime I can get my hands on a bottle, I did this to a kid in, um, when I won the Malibu Half Marathon, I did a similar thing. I don't know if I told this on Rich Roll, but I'm running, I have a lead at halfway and I've got probably 30 to 60 second lead on the next kid. He looked like uh, Prefontaine. He had the short shorts, a little mustache, a young guy. And from nine, from between, sometime between seven and nine miles, he closed this big gap. And I was like, and I told him this after, I go, oh, damn it, I'm going to get second because this guy must be like negative split and he's got to be coming on. And, and I'm like on the limit. But when he didn't go past me, I was like, oh. Maybe he's just, maybe he just killed himself to catch me. So while we're running together, someone hands him a water bottle and, and on a bike, it ended up being his dad, unbeknownst to me. So he gets it. I said, Hey, give me that when you're done. No niceties. Just give me that when you're done. So he hands it to me. I drink as much as I can and then throw it away. <laughs> and he was like, Oh, it's got blah, blah, blah. And I go, if it's good for you, it's good for me. <laughs> and um, and then I put a move on him. Just I mean, I was hurting, but I put a move on, and he didn't go with me. And I was like, okay, I'm all in from 11 to 13. And I, I beat him by 10 seconds. So he was, for two miles, I was like, oh, please let me get it. And so after the race, I told him basically what I just told you. I said, you should have went past me because I had already quit. I, had, I was already beat. It was It's so mental, right? I was like, oh. But when he didn't go past me, I was like, oop, you just let me back in. You fucked up. <laughs> so the couple seconds you save is more important than the hydration, the fuel, the energy. What I mean, I stop at every water station. I mean, that's just me, <laughs> but I'm also pounding out like 345s and four-hour marathons. <laughs> yeah, that's what you used to do, but now you're running. You were having fun before, and now we're working. So for, I mean, when someone is... I can't believe someone you. knew that story from Berlin. I was like in the middle of nowhere. He was probably like right next to you or, or right behind you. Or I, like dude, that. I was so mad. I was like, I was falling. You're apart. a freight train in the in, in these kind of races. Like no one should get in your way whatsoever. Dude, the guy like he was the aggressor. He bumped into me, then he yelled at me, and I was like, "Fuck you, dude! What are you talking about?" Like, and I'm on death's door because, like I said, the people were just going by me, and I was just going in reverse. I was like, "God, this is I want to do this to them. I don't want this to happen to me." <laughs> What's the most you've ever suffered in a race physically? Definitely. Well, Berlin and um, 2016 at the Ironman in Hawaii. Cause what happened at, there? At there, I was in incredible shape with like five weeks ago and I got pneumonia and I was in bed for like a week and then I had three weeks to try to get back, you know, to some type of form and I got on the run and I was just, 
I was in I was in a hurt locker, but I but I had quit in 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 Kona once before, and I and I tell this story a lot. It's so much harder to quit than to keep going. If you're listening to this and you ever get in a race, and you're like, I'm just gonna step off. No one really cares. Uh, no, no, you care. You know, and you'll remember that forever. Shitty races, I have dozens of them. Quitting, I have one. I can tell you every single thing that happened. It haunts me to this day. I'll cry if I think about it too much. I'm so I'm internally so it, it's such a shameful moment for me because there was no need to quit i just like this sucks and i'm not doing well so rather than have a shitty time and be a man and finish like an adult i was like well let me just quit like i'm a professional athlete like ah, i'm not in the money i'm gonna stop it was like i told myself every story to justify quitting and um so when i went back in 16 and was like I mean, I really was sick, and but I was like, I, it's so hard to qualify to race there, and it's such a magical place. It's such a fun week, the week before the race, that I just like walked, ran, walked, ran, and, and finished in like 11 hours just before the sun went down. But I got there, and it was like, I went to the medical tent, and I'm like, dude, I do not feel good. And they were like, oh, shit. <laughs> they tried checking my vitals and blood, and they were like, oh, okay, IV. Like They were like ready to transfer me to the hospital. Um, that in Berlin probably. Paulo, man, when I finished New York, I was throwing up violently, and thank God for Shalane Flanagan. Chase, like as I was finishing, I ran like two thirty three, but she's she was running all the majors in like the same year or something. So she's coming in. I started sprinting like a maniac, and I end up winning the Masters by three seconds. But if she wasn't there, I would not have sprinted the last like two hundred yards and <laughs> and won the Masters division. Wow. We were just talking about that on the run this morning. It's just like <clears throat> someone like Shalane is just built so differently. Like, you know, for her to be able to accomplish those six marathons in, in whatever it was, like two months. Mm -hmm. And is there anything in particular that impresses you? I know you said you liked going out and seeing the pros warm up. And now when you're in the starting line area and you're around them, like what impresses you? Like, what do you observe? I just like the professionalism. They're just like all business. It's like it's like watching a master at work, whether it's an artist or musician. Just like I just admire people that are the best at their craft. It's just like I don't know. I'm an, I'm kind of a nerd like that. I'm just I love the process. I like I notice everything. What do they have on? What kind of socks? What are they? <laughs> I don't know why. It's like I don't. It's not. It's almost like subconscious. But I could tell you everything that everyone was doing. What do they have for a watch? What do they have a fitness tracker? What? Again, I don't know why. I don't. I'm not an, an an analytical person. I couldn't tell you what my heart rate is. I'm not interested. Just the basics: pace, time, distance. That's it. Um, but the funny thing is, after that New York race, I was. Um, I must have been living in Nashville. Whatever it was, wherever we were flying. Maybe I flew to L.A. Wherever I no, I flew to after Boston. I flew to um, Seattle for something and. I get on the plane and I'm, I'm a big uh, sissy after the race. I have to be in first class to spread <laughs> spread my shit out. And uh, Shalane was sitting in the seat behind behind me, and we just started talking as we were getting off the plane. I was telling her like, "Oh, thanks for trying to finish so fast. You helped me win the Masters division." And she was laughing. She was with her um, child, and uh, it was just a funny story that I was like, what? "Oh, you're behind me again." Yeah. So, have you seen any sort of like sports scientist or anything like that that can kind of give you an assessment of like what do you think is the ceiling for your own potential i know it's like when someone comes into a sport so late in life like it's not like you ran in college or in high school that you have all these miles on your legs like for when you started running like it's there's less wear and tear on you that you still could have more prs ahead of you and it's like for how much longer 
I mean, look, I've been stuck at like 228 now for three years with real intense training with purpose. And I've run 229 a couple of times. I've run 230 a few times. Um, I ran 230 in Boston. I ran 230 at Surf City, 229 in Chicago, 229 in, 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 in um, London. But I haven't been able to break through. But I know, I know, I have a faster time, faster run in me. But I've also never like dedicated myself to training like a professional in the sense that you know my my problem was always with drugs. So like you know, occasionally I have a drink with my wife. No, I I never get drunk. I'm just it's not my thing. But like I, you know, I, my diet could be better. I could be thinner. Like so, I think that. In terms of a ceiling, I think there's some things I could do if I really wanted to get serious. But then, at what cost is that? Like, I have four children. Like, so part of being an onsite at onsite was like recognizing like how much of this is for me and how much of it is for ego. And um, I don't want to get caught up in that ego trap of like feeling like I have to do these things to be valid. Like, I have to be comfortable with who I am today, right now. Like all the things that I've accomplished. If you had told me this ten years ago. I, I would have burst into tears. I would have been like, I can't believe it. But it's like anything. As you progress into that, it becomes expected. Then the goals get loftier. But um, I, I do think that I could run fast in Tokyo. I also think I could run a fast, slightly faster half marathon. Although when I look at the pace, 522, I'm like, holy shit. That's what I was like. Even doing mile repeats on 522. But like I said, on races, sometimes I just elevate where I'm like, oh, my God. I'm going through like low fives on these. Re you just, I don't know. But no, I've never talked to anyone about what the ceiling is. The thing that's sticking out to me, I got to be honest in this conversation is, so, so when I think about my life and my journey on this planet, being sober, being in recovery, one of the greatest gifts that I have is to be able to give it away, right? Like they say, you can't keep what you don't give away. Mm -hmm. And so for me, having the opportunity to have some long-term sobriety and watching some of these you know, newcomers come in and get cleaned up and, and go on and live their lives, is there something about coaching because you're 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 starting to do more of that yeah. where you think you can find that same passion for for coaching a guy like me you know yeah. who like to be honest with you ken like i don't know what the hell i just signed up for but i know that there's more and and i'm i'm ready to to learn and take that knowledge of the socks and the shoes and the nutrition <laughs> and, and all that stuff so i'm just curious like with this new kind of step into coaching and ride out strong, like what are you looking forward to most in, in that and helping other runners hit their goals? Yeah, man, going through recovery, you can appreciate this. There's nothing like the sense of community. There's nothing like feeling like belonging and feeling like you're around your people. And like when I looked at you, when you called me, I'm like, dude, you've never even run a marathon. You're doing so much fucking around at these races. You're like, <laughs> you're like taking selfies? Are you crazy? I would, in a million years, I wouldn't do it. If I dropped all my gels at the start line, I'd be like, damn it, I got to figure out how I'm going to get some more because I'm not going backwards. I love like, it. I, I so, need this. Bring it on. So from that, from that perspective, perspective i'm like oh i can't wait to work with zach he has no idea like he's not even running he's just ha he's having fun if you wanted to get serious i'm like oh my god just like i could take 15 minutes off your time without even doing anything different from a training perspective just be serious like, there's no need to have a phone i wouldn't carry one single ounce that i didn't need when i see people running with water and a freaking whole bento box sushi with them. I'm like, dude, were you going on a wilderness retreat? There's a fucking aid station every one mile. Get a gel at the my where you need one. Like I, I usually have two or three gels, the specific ones that I want. Like I like the Morton's gels. So I'll have maybe one or maybe two caffeine because they got a shitload of caffeine. But when you start hitting that caffeine at like 
16 to 18 miles like i feel it like i'm not a huge coffee guy i have a cup of coffee in the morning but when i take that caffeine late in a race i'm like ooh, i'm like good for the next mile you know it's just you don't want to take it too early because then you get that caffeine crash so i like a couple more in gels with me at least one caffeinated one and then might i grab i might grab one or two random gels i tolerate things pretty well like from a gastrointestinal perspective some people have to be cognizant of their own needs like you have to experiment with different things know what race hydration mixes on the course like i do i i mean i pay attention just enough to know what i need but not enough to be like which gel works the best for me or i know which one i like the best but you know if outside of morton's i would just be like gels are gels so right out strong, I guess. Like, can you t- share with the the people like how big's the squad right now, and like what are what are the goals that you've got in terms of just growing this? Yeah, I think we have about forty people now between the annual members and um, spring members. So we have three ten week cycles. There's a um, ten week cycle that starts in the first week of Feb, and we're going to target. I think the Nashville Marathon April twenty second as our kind of official unofficial team race but if someone was training for boston or something like within that context it will work um so it's a 10 week three 10 week training programs spring marathon fall marathon and then in the summer we've got like basically like 10 weeks of speed like like trying to get faster right because you're building like your base building in between all these and then you're going to focus on just a lot of speed work like track stuff uh in the 10 week build up there might be like one to two track workouts a week followed by a long run either a workout or a long just steady um so it's just a structured format that has a strength component so mario puts together the running program the running scheduling every day get a daily schedule via final surge and then todd anderson writes the strength and conditioning training personalized for each member um and then we've got a bunch of sponsors that work with us like roan made all this beautiful gear for us t-shirts sweats hoodies um shorts um, there's a brand called Say Sky out of Denmark that is my running sponsor. They sent us racing, racing singlets for everyone last year that we had the logo put on. Um, last year, Reebok sent sneakers to all the members um, of the program. We had um, 15 people for uh, fall of last year, including um, Casey Neistat and Neve Schulman, who hosts um, Catfish on MTV. Mm-hmm. Great guy. Uh, we had some great people, man. Most of the people all ran PRs, too. It was so rewarding. But yeah, Zach, to, to your point, just being able to like share this. Um, it, 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 I started doing it because I just got so much outreach on social media of people being like, you know, inquiring. And I was like, you know what, maybe I can share this like not necessarily my running knowledge because I don't have a lot. Mario does. So I said, let me get the guys who know the most about the technicalities and I'll kind of deal with the, I hesitate to say mindset coaching, but like kind of like the attitude adjustment that sometimes people need. Like with you, you're like, (laughs) hey, you want to run? You want to finish? Cool. Finishing is a noble cause, but you've already finished enough. Now, like, let's see what you can really do. do But it's scary to think I'm going to set some some ambitious goals that are going to require me to be incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> but i need to be comfortable being uncomfortable and uh yeah that's so that's kind of thing so and also roca sunglasses uh reebok roan uh olipop's the best it's the best delicious oh, oh dude I what's drink, your favorite flavor <laughs> i like the grape and the orange i like the fruity ones my kids like the traditional cola and the root beer but, um, you know, Olipop's got, like, uh, plant fiber, yeah. some prebiotics and stuff. So instead of – and it's got, like, 2 grams of sugar versus 39 grams of sugar from a Coke. And I'm like, I love soda. So to me, finding Olipop was, like, uh, 
a dream come true because I, I have I'm very regimented. I have like a routine that works and I don't deviate from it. So when I get back from running, I'm good for like I'm good for at least three Olipops a day. Yeah. Uh, so right now, like, so Olipop is sponsoring the Sidious Mag podcast, and so like Kyle Merber and I have just been pushing. It's like it's the runner soda. Like 100%. enough with the seltzer. Like this. It's a game changer. It's delicious. It's good for you. It's the runner soda now. I use them as a reward for my children, too, because they all they love, obviously, right, kids? Uh, but I use them as a reward. They're like, so after a sports game, after, like, jiu-jitsu practice, they're like, Dad, can I have a um, Olipop? And I'm like, do you think you gave your best effort? And sometimes <laughs> they're like, nah, I didn't. And then they're like... I'll have mine the next time. And then they're like, it, it works. Because like we preach a lot of honesty, right, with, with the kids. And I'm like, hey, if you tell me you, did, if you, tell me you tried your hardest, I'm going to believe you. Mm-hmm. But they, they, like, they, they buy into that. Like they own it. Sometimes they're like, nah, didn't really do my best. Yeah. I don't care about doing good. It's not about doing well or, or, or being the best. It's just trying your best. The only thing you can control is effort. So I kind of preach that. I tried to preach that to my kids. I'm like, just give your best, man. One part of your brain I want to dig into is when you say like you're sh- you're scared shitless sometimes in some yeah. of these races. What is it that scares you? I'm just scared of failing, even in front of myself. Like the ego part of me, that like aggressive side of me. It's like two personalities. As a matter of fact, when I was on site, she goes, "How would you identify that aggressive side of yourself?" I said, "Like a werewolf or a fire breathing dragon." <laughs> <laughs> but um. Yeah, I think it's just pressure that we put on ourselves. And then you got to ask yourself the question, am I performing for other people on social media or am I doing this for myself? And it's a question that I'm trying to answer. And I sometimes, listen, I could just not even talk about this shit because it's embarrassing to think, am I performing for other people? I hope I'm not. But there has to be a part of me that is because, I mean, I would do this. I would do my running shit even if it wasn't on Strava. But knowing it's on Strava creates sort of an accountability that I've been telling myself is accountability. But I'm not starting to question, like, am I doing this for me? I don't know. It's like I'm I'm, I'm on a, like, self-discovery journey. (laughs) I love that. All right. I've got one final question, Zach, if you've got any other ones. For for me, it's kind of like what I'm wondering is what part of your story outside of the running have going public with – you know, appearing on Ritual, doing other podcasts, having your own show, posting yourself on social media. The running aside, that's the heavy side that, like, I'm sure a lot of people can see because it's on every platform and it's on Strava. What's the part of your story that you, has resonated with the most people and what has what, is has there been any sort of big message or anything from some stranger that has really, you know, stood out to you as like, whoa, that was cool. I didn't think that that part of myself would would impact somebody. You know, it's funny when people send me a lot of messages saying that I'm inspiring them and that I'm motivating them. And and that to me was the most eye-opening and it's become kind of a common theme on social media that people like send me the loveliest messages of like, oh, you're so inspirational. But there's a part of me that almost feels like guilty. I'm like, man, I'm I'm a damaged person. I'm like, I got a lot of work to do. I don't know that I don't know that you want to be like me. You know what I mean? That 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 stuff gets heavy because, at the end of the day, I I I I believe in myself. I know I'm a good person, but I don't know that they are inspired for the right reasons. 
if that makes sense. Like, there's a lot more to me than just running and being aggressive. There is, there's just a lot more. I'm not gonna like sit, sit here and say I'm I'm great at this, that, and the other, right? But, um, yeah, it's it's. I've been overwhelmed, like I said in the intro. Like I'm just overwhelmed by uh, with appreciation and humility and almost embarrassment that people think this about me because I didn't have that opinion of myself and I don't have that opinion myself but that's part of the process I'm going through is like why don't I have that opinion why why shouldn't I appreciate myself for who I am and and almost like some of the things that have motivated me to be the person I am are some of the things that I'm not happy about if that makes sense so I don't know. I know I sound really philosophical and confusing right now. I'm sure to a lot of people, but I went through this intense thing and I'm just kind of trying to process everything myself and trying to figure out a way to be more comfortable with myself and not necessarily my worst critic, which I have a tendency to be. Zach, you got anything else? No questions. Just, you know, a comment is, is I, uh, I'm blown away. There's a lot of identification, obviously, like, I consider myself to be a, a pretty tough guy, but some of the toughest shit I've ever done is get real about where I'm at, you yep. know, and get honest and, and not give a shit what other people think, you know, so to sit here and kind of see where you're at in your journey, it's inspiring. I know it helped me. I know it's going to help other, other men because I was taught to put the mouthpiece in growing up and like get back out there. And that's not always the toughest thing to do. Sometimes I got to hit my knees and like surrender to whatever that pain I'm in, uh, at that moment is it, it, i'm feeling and so kudos to you man i mean i'm fired up i'm ready to rip something with you and and i feel like i made a new friend so i'm, I'm happy about this yeah get him get him in a bq and whip him into shape oh easy work he'll be, running, <laughs> he'll be breaking three hours in like the next six months no question <laughs> and best of luck to you ken uh with tokyo it's gonna be an exciting course i got i ran in 2019 it's an amazing one it's like you you're going out, it's like a butterfly shape basically in some parts. And so you're going out in the city and then on the other side you could see you know, the Japanese runners who are going 210 and you're just like, all right, I got to get there soon. And so uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a phenomenal race. So wishing you the best of luck. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on. And thanks to um, Stephen Vigilante at Olipop for connecting yeah. us. I'm uh, super appreciative of him, appreciative of Olipop. And uh, yeah, man, I'm honored. Thank you for allowing me to share my story. Um, I'm, I'm I'm honored. Yeah, we'll have to catch some miles soon in uh, Central Park, and we're going to do our best to get in shape just to, just to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Every run isn't a workout. Next time I'm here, we'll jog easy. That does it for another episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast. Thanks for listening and supporting. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. Leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you want to contribute and support the show, you can also back us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash SidiousMag or send over any tip or one-time donation over to Sidious Mag on Venmo. You guys are all the best. Thanks for listening. Legs are feeling good. I'm Chris Chavez. See you next time.